Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Excited to introduce our guest today, my friend and uh, longtime colleague, Pepper Miller, president of Hunter Miller Group. Welcome back, Pepper. Mario, I'm delighted to be here. It's so great to to see you and to have this conversation with you. You know, you're one of my favorites. <laughs> likewise, likewise. And I think you're one of our few re- repeat guests, which is which is great. I always love having you on and excited to, to dive into your new book. But um, before we jump in, I wanted to hear more about your story. I'm, I always find it fascinating how people in the marketing and insights industry got into the industry because it's very rare that people's you know new in college or whatever That's their right. background is that they want to get into insights. So I, I let's let's start there. How did how did you get into to the insights world? Thank you, Mario. Again, delighted to be a part of your program. So you're right, especially people like me who are boomers, a little old school, just kind of fell into it. That's one of the conversations that we have at these insights um, uh, conferences. And luckily, there are more people that are looking into getting degrees in market research or advanced degrees in that. That was not available. So I happened to work at a <clears throat> at an ad agency, J. Walter Thompson, Chicago. It was the largest at one time, <clears throat> excuse me, in the world and the second largest in Chicago, which is where I live. But I didn't work in the advertising area, division, if you were. I worked in office planning. Um, And um, I loved that job. It required a lot of research, me going out and researching cost-saving alternatives. Should we have our own um, security um, system, you know, internally? Should we buy our plane um, instead of flying executives first class? Um, I was in charge of, back then, it was like a $3.5 million dollar operating budget. And that was a lot of money back then, but I was in charge of managing that. So I had to work with interior designers and architects. And I went around and interviewed every department head to find out what their wish list was and to understand what are the... uh, what's the process? What's the purpose of your department? What does your department do? And so I learned so much about advertising and me doing those interviews. I started getting uh, invited to internal focus groups. It wasn't a lot of black people there with 600 people, only 60 black people there and 10 professional black people. So I got invited to participate in focus groups. Uh, then the company sent me to four A's. I think it's still around. Yeah. Northwestern University. And then the bug really hit me and I wanted to get in research. I applied for the research training program, was not admitted. My girlfriend and I started researching business alternatives. Uh, One of the black executives who left the company said, hey, I heard that you guys have a research company. We did not. Um, (laughs) I have a research project for you. So we, you know, we we started with that. Our relationship didn't last. It lasted just a couple of years, but I kept going. And what happened with me is I started knocking on doors to do focus groups. I would show up in this brown skin and I was told too many times, Mario, we'll call you when we have a black project. We'll give you a call. And I'm like, 
are you talking to me? So ultimately, black companies or companies that were focused on the black consumer gave me projects and allowed me to practice my craft for my hats off to the Burrells of the world, Chisholm Mingle, which is no longer there, E. Morris Communication, no longer, no longer there, Barbara Proctor, no longer there. And then it was the big hair care craze with the curl, Jerry Curl and, you know, all of that, the perms. I did a ton of research for them. But in talking about these products and services that were focused to Black people, they talked about the Black experience. And they talked about how they didn't see themselves in the advertising, not portrayed accurately. And they talked about stereotyping and on and on and on, which were things that was very dear to me. So I started speaking at conferences and just asking people if I could speak at multicultural conferences. At multicultural conferences, it was mostly Hispanic. There was nobody talking about Black people. And if they were talking about Black people, they talked about, it was the same you know, message. We're 55, 57% live in the South. Uh, more women are getting college degrees than men. It was these stats over and over again. But nobody was asking why as it relates to our beliefs and behavior. And I'm the why girl. I wear that hat. And my passion for helping business leaders and society understand our value as a people as well as a market segment became my mission, my passion, and my mantra. And I've been just doing it, doing it, doing it ever since. I, I love that because I and, and I so much of what you said resonates with me. And um, I mean, one, it sounds like you didn't necessarily want to specialize in black consumers. You were just interested in absolutely, right? absolutely. Like, I didn't even think about it. I just want to do research because this is great. Yeah. No, yeah, and same thing happened to me, right? Like I, I was yeah. really interested in marketing and insights and just my background, my name, right? It was uh, the fact that I was bilingual. I just went into the Hispanic market, but similarly, I found that passion. Like, oh these experiences, my lived experience is helpful to my career. Like that, that understanding, right. That empathy of, of being Latino in the U S and your case being black in the U S like you can bring that to bear in your work, which has been, which has been cool, right. It's not necessarily what I wanted to do, but now it's, it has similarly become it has been cool. And, you know, when you read um, articles about career choices, they use this word pigeonhole or don't focus on one area. I mean, we're told that over and over again, you won't be successful if you do that. I probably could have made more money um, doing uh, mainstream because black is because we speak English. They speak English, don't they? This rhetorical question. Um, people are less interested in Black. So language has become the cultural identifier. If you speak a different language like you in Spanish, then they recognize there's a different culture, not so much with Black people. What for Black people, it's about rolling us in to mainstream. So many clients would come to me when they're in trouble, when something has happened, um, when they've made a, a, a mistake or a stumble. There are some companies that understood the value of Black, like uh, the larger companies like Procter & Gamble and Unilever, who have had relationships with Black consumers for decades and they get it. Uh, but still, the investment of designated research is not was not happening and it's still 
still not happening. It's still so, not happening. So I could have maybe done better if I was just a mainstream um, um, insights um, uh, person or executive. But I I I saw the the disparities in you know understanding us and what was happening to us, and I wanted to do something about it to try to close that gap of misunderstanding that so many brands have um, about us. But I've done well. I've, I've, en- I've enjoyed it, but it's not as fun anymore. I'm a qualitative research, uh, Mario, and I'm finding that a lot of brands are using qual research to do copy testing. So mm-hmm. we were taught to you know, no more than you don't really want five ads to test in a focus group, you know, three, you know, you want to keep it three. If you have to go higher, you just don't go higher than five. And there you have conversations, words, phrases that you don't understand. Talk to me about that. What does that mean to you? Circle this, write this, you know, understand, you know, and and today it's, it's 24 ads and it's pick one, just pick one, pick an ad. And is the is, should the picture be here or should it be over here? Do you like that font? Should we have a different kind of font? Oh, you don't know what other fonts? Let me show you and you can pick the font. What about that dress that that woman is wearing? Do you like that color? I I am not kidding. This is like last year, earlier this year. And so it's just, I love that you got a, I see uh, behind you, I can see the letters fun. It's not right. as fun anymore. <laughs> But what I do enjoy is this, having conversations like this with you and speaking. And also, too, because where our history is becoming a big part of the great erasure, and it is done in some states, you know, where Black history is no longer in books in Utah, Tennessee, um, Texas, and of course, Florida. I mean, no Martin Luther King, you know, slavery is called forced migration. Um, so I have to, I want to, I choose to continue the narrative about who we are. Our history is the most important insight to understand about black people. All the beliefs and behavior ladders right back up to history. So we have to understand it and the impact on black people and mainstream and businesses as well. Businesses can do so much by understanding this different lens, this different history. Different does not mean deficient. It's an opportunity. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great segue to talk about your new book. I mean, um, let you know, let me explain Black again. This And this isn't your first book. This is your third book. Yes, and you is. do a really great job of explaining why now. I think part of it is what you just said, right? But tell us, like, why... why You've you've been doing this for a while. You've been um, showing the importance, the richness of the black experience, how it pertains to America. So, so what what's what's tell us a little bit about the timing and why you wrote. wrote let me explain black again. Oh, thank you, Mario. So, um, the the title is not meant to be punitive. It's um, and number one, the millennials in general, all millennials, they, they have grown and surpassed the boomers. They are the largest segment and they tend to be the go-to segment for many marketers. Um, millennials are, they have a lot of impact on culture and politics and black millennials continue to shape 
what's new and what's hip in America. And black millennials are the drivers of progress for the black community. So that was important to look at that and talk about that from that perspective. Uh, and then black millennials are not as mainstream as some may think. I think I, I talk about that a lot. The second thing was these three disruptors, Trump, COVID, and George Floyd. Uh, the three of those um, disruptors collectively have helped people start having more conversations about race and racism. Now, being Black, um, most Black people think about Blackness 90% of the time versus whites who think about race 10% of the time. But with these disruptors, Trump, COVID, and George Floyd, we're hearing more conversations about race coming from mainstream. Some favorable, a lot unfavorable um, as well. And then there's these four, oh, then the, the third thing, and I have two more, is um, I've worked at a lot of agencies as, with strategists. I was even a strategist at an ad agency, and that's that was not my, my role. My role is this thought leader. But nonetheless, I learned how strategists struggled to provide information about the Black audience um, for their creative teams. Strategists, as you know, are responsible for writing the creative strategy and telling the story about the target, but they struggle to find information and, and, the, and the answer to the why question. And then fourth is I've been doing this for many years, since 1995 and even before that. And these four words that I've heard over and over again, and probably even more so now in this age of George Floyd, even though some of it is winding down, is pepper, I didn't know. After a presentation, after focus groups, after a workshop, pepper, I didn't know. Hence the title, Let Me Explain Black Again, and all of the things that I that I mentioned um, beforehand. So this book goes broad and it goes a lot deeper than the other than the other two books. And we give, you know, we you know, we, we get into research and artificial intelligence and the importance of anthropology. We talk about seven blind spots that business leaders have um, that prevent them from engaging this audience. We talk about cultural shapeshifters. There are individuals that are cultural shapeshifters and then there are segments. And cultural shapeshifters go beyond influencers in that they are not only influencing Black culture and mainstream culture, but they're providing opportunities for revenue generation uh, in America. So there's a monetary value that's associated with cultural shapeshifters, and they're redefining the cultural norms of America. So I get into all of those. I talk about each one of those in depth. It's more storytelling and not, you know, so academic. It's written into that type of, of style so that business leaders as well as lay people can um, can read this book and particularly too for black people who now can have something to help them control the narrative that is being chipped away about our history and, and who we are and our value. So what, one of the things you know that jumped out to me I mean that you, you have a lot of great insights I love that it's um, based off of insights, right? And and you weave in that storytelling, personal experience. I'm curious, given your time in the industry, 
do you think we've made progress from a marketing perspective in understanding the black consumer? Like, have we made progress? Uh, if not, uh, yeah, I have we made progress? I'm going to leave it at that. I think we're still very, very much behind. And again, that, you know, there's this, you know, the, you know, the language situation, not understanding who we are, the lack of empathy, um, just not not really fully understanding who we are. So I would say we've we've made some progress in civil rights when we didn't see each other uh, in 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 media the way the way we do now. We've made progress because we have black media now, which is still important. We have ethnic media. We have made progress in that we see more uh, uh, blacks in the in the industry but we're still very very behind particularly when it comes to research there is very little designated research for black and other ethnic communities they take us and roll us in with mainstream and they use these standards of asking the same questions which is not necessarily in a relevant way it's a huge a huge mistake that many brands make. Um, so more investment in designated research, black research, Latino research, Asian, Native American, LGBTQ plus is still needed to understand these segments. And in that case, um, research is is shamefully, shamefully behind, shamefully behind. I agree. I don't know if you saw the Black Consumer Project that we did with Quantacy, um, but that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, and it, it was interesting that we partnered with Quantacy, um, a firm focused on multicultural marketing with a specific expertise in black consumers. And uh, we were asking questions and doing desk research, realized that they've never been asked before. And this is 2022, which was just, uh, which was just crazy. And w- one of the things actually that jumped out in uh, your book when I was reading it was the concept of acculturation. So many times this term is used among Latinos, but I loved how you used it among black consumers. Tell us a little bit about the concept of acculturation and how that means, what what that means in the context of the black community. Um, Yes, Mario. So um, you're right. Brands don't think of us as being acculturated again because of language. Language defines what's happening with culture for, for many brands. And we found that um, parents of millennials were moving to predominantly white areas. You know, Black people tend to live in major markets uh, in these urban areas, but they decided to move to urban areas. They wanted their kids to be exposed. There's an issue sometimes about safety. Um, And so these Black kids find themselves, there may be one or two kids, the only kids um, in a school. My girlfriend's kids were like that. It was just her, my girlfriend's daughter and son only two black kids in the school or whatever activities that they decided to to join in or in their communities where they live. And so these kids pick up the characteristics of that of that culture. And they and the conversations about blackness was not necessarily happening in the household. And so these kids and it's a different black experience for them. They're black, but it it leans more toward mainstream and they're more comfortable with that. Family reunions were horrible. Family reunions were horrible 
um, for these young people. And so marketers see these black kids or maybe their kids has this black friend come over to their house and they they believe that that's where the growth is when we think about the black consumer market. But the growth is still with the other mindsets of uh, nonconformists and the worldly um, uh, black person. Because because those segments, the worldly person may have um, friends who are white, but they also, their closest friends tend to be black. And then the nonconformists, there are two segments of nonconformists, those who celebrate black pride and those who do not, those who are um, uh, less likely to, to vote, for example, um, but still are very much close to other people who look like them. That, that is the largest segment, and that's the segment that tends to be growing. And growing with them is this mindset of being unapologetically Black. We do not see this unapologetically Black with the um, acculturated uh, segment of youth as we do with the other youth who are worldly and who are nonconformists. So it's important to understand that we are different from mainstream and we are different from each other in meaningful ways. And understanding those differences, again, is very important in terms of how you engage us and where you engage us. It's going to be very, um, very different for the, for the Black community. And so getting brands to understand that and be laser focused on that is very, very important. Yeah, that that is, I think, one thing that jumped out to me the most as a researcher, the importance of getting not one, not just doing research on black consumers, but understanding there's just like any other market, there's segments. And, yes. need, and, and depending on where you're launching your brand, who your target audience is, you need to understand that segment of black consumer, just like you would white consumer, Asian consumer, Latino consumer. And um, another part of the book that stuck out to me in terms of sub sub segments was African immigrants. Yes, I think this is this is something we don't really talk about um, in in our in our Black Consumer Project. We did do a oversample though of African immigrants, and it's so interesting how different the opinions are of African Im immigrants versus Black consumers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this from a marketing perspective? How I like to marketers... hear too what you have to say. I'm so sorry yeah. I wasn't aware of this because I could have mentioned this in my book. <laughs> so helpful. So um, black immigrants, we talk about them as being one of the contributors to black spending power. They mm -hmm. are better educated, higher income, um, have dual roles. One of the things that there is tension between the black immigrants and the black Americans. Like many in society, they too don't understand our history and how our history has impacted us. There is um, this gaze, we call it the white gaze or the black gaze, but looking at the black US born African-Americans and saying, what's wrong with y'all? What's, you know, what's wrong with y'all? And so sometimes the black immigrants do that because they don't have this 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 history and understand how this cloud of stereotyping can psychologically impact impact people. But they are, um, and so there's there's tension between us. But we are still brothers and sisters because they show up 
in this brown skin and are often discriminated against as well. They are experiencing um, that as well. They are probably a, a very cohesive uh, group of people uh, and cohesive in terms of their different sects and cultures and tribes, uh, if if you will, that makes them stronger. That's one of the things that I love about the um, the black immigrants. But they contribute a lot to the economy. They contribute a lot to the spending power. And if I see a black guy from Ghana or Senegal, they will hello my sister, hello my brother. You know, we are still brothers and sisters. Um, um, for the cause of, of equality um, as, as well. We're still on, on that page despite our, our differences. I'd love to learn more about what you, you learned from that and even share it in some of my Black Insights presentations because I do talk about them as a segment and I would love to um, see that or, or see you know some press on it. It would be so helpful for the work that I'm doing. And congratulations on that, Mario. Thank you. Yeah. So we, we partnered with Quantacy um, and, and they they did some great, um, great work. We executed the research. They really helped with putting it together. And, and that was a big thing that they pushed that they want to make sure that we delve into the sub segment. So I'll definitely, we have three or four, three or four waves that we did. Um, and I think the one that stood out in terms of differences with the immigrant versus U.S. born was was this concept of the American dream, um, yeah. which, which which was really interesting. So um, oh, I love that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely be sharing that when with you. When did you, you do so the research, Mario? We started it last year. It's been going on, and so we did several waves, um, and so it's it's been. Yeah, it's it's been over a year now that we we've we've done that. And you've been reporting out. We've been reporting out. We had live events in 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 Atlanta. Um, I I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I, I, that's I'm, a, I'm, that's okay. I <laughs> I'm surprised you're just finding out. Yeah, man. Excuse me. I would have loved to include um, some of your findings in the book, particularly in the research segment. Any, you know, you guys, you know, you've done you know great work in the in the past. So that's, that's wonderful. You're going to have to write, to a, point, have to write had, another book. Yeah. Oh, God. oh Lord. <laughs> I had a lot of stops and starts with this book and it got down to the wire where it was like, look, you got to get this done. Um, and, and the book needed to be ready for some of the conferences that I spoke at in the beginning of the year. So we had to have a cutoff date in December um, mm. to get the book done. So it was, you know, and I, I wasn't quite ready. I wanted to, you know, put some more things in it, but publisher said, that's it. We're yeah. going to cut it off. So, um, well, one, one of my favorite parts of the book as well was the blind spots. Um, you, you know, uh, before we end, we're all, we're almost here at the end. I want, what are some of the top three blind spots that marketers still have about the black community? I, you know, the, it's the, the top three blind spots to me are the, um, the number one, the avoidance of our history of African-American mm. history again, because we got this different history as a result of our history in slavery, we have a different lens. And, 
you know, as a re and as a result of the different treatment, we have different beliefs and behavior. So avoiding that, and I've been talking about that before this great erasure of our history came up. The other um, two that I talk about a lot is misunderstanding the language of of identity and misunderstanding language, and then misunderstanding our identity. You know, um, one of the things that you know, it's that has happened to me, and you've heard me talk about this before, is clients have said, you know, they speak English, don't they? Uh, as a rhetorical question for not investing in Black people, um, Black consumers. And my response is, yes, we speak English. Are you talking to me? So it's it's that, it's the it, it's Ebonics, it's, um, you know, it's, it's code switching, all of that and understanding that um, is very important. And then identity and how important that is. So today, many publications are capitalizing Black when we think about identity. And it is a celebration of our history, what has happened to us. It's about respecting uh, people and not capitalizing white. I remember I started capitalizing black and I was told if you capitalize black, you gotta capitalize white. Um, so those are some of the, <clears throat> those are some of the insights um, that uh, brands could understand. And with the capitalization of black, the Associated Press and New York Times and USA Today and um, The Atlantic and other major publications are now doing that and following suit as well. And that was driven by Black millennials and Black journalists. So understanding those things, our history, identity, and language, are, I think the top three uh, insights that a lot of brands could benefit from. Agreed. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you experienced this as well, but even in our industry, what, what mar, you know, research and marketing, people feel uncomfortable saying black. It's, yes. it's, it's weird, you. right? It's like, so they use people like, of color. They yeah. interchange black with people of color. And I am so against that. It's a mistake. As people of color is the collective use of black, African-American, Asian, Latino. Uh, right. Uh, people. So if you are talking about black people, just say black. I think people, when people say the blacks, then that's something else that implies that's pejorative, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think with the, the, the black, um, use of that, of, of black and black American, I think it just made people a little squeamish about using the word black, but I've been just on people to say black because, and then when you, when you swap out people of color and BIPOC with black, it, it homogenizes our, our culture and our history. My history is different from that of an Asian person. And in many cases, a, a Hispanic person, we have oh, yeah. a lot of similarities, but there are still some differences. So just say black, if you're talking about black people and referencing and uh, black people, we have to, um, you know, this is cliche, it's been said over and over again, but we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me to talk and use the word slavery in my presentations, but I, I was like, I have to, what, what do I do? And my ex-husband, who was a, we are really good friends. He's my BFF. Um, he told me to always tell the truth. If you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about 
you know, what am I going to say next or how this one is, you know, how this might affect the other people. Just tell the truth and tell our stories instead of finger pointing. Let me explain black again is not meant to be punitive finger pointing. It's just, you know, it's just this journey that I've been on for years and years and years of talking about black people and how so many uh, brands and people in society still don't really understand who we are. So I just want to, let's try it again this way. That's, that's all it is. <laughs> let's try it again this way. I love it. And thank you so much for joining Pepper. It's always a pleasure talking to you. you if too, people want to, if people want to purchase the book and connect with you, can you share your website and the best sure, way to, to uh, follow you? Yes, yes, yes. You can reach out to me on peppermiller.net. You can buy my book from Amazon and you can also buy it from Paramount uh, Publishers. Um, Paramount offers discounts for people that want to buy multiple copies. I think the book retails for $29.95 on Amazon and on the publisher's website, but they also have uh, frequent um, discounts when you buy it from the publisher. So buy the book read it, leave a, a review. It helps with the search engine uh, optimization uh, as well if you do buy it on Amazon or if you buy it someplace else, just leave a review on Amazon. Even if you haven't made it through the entire book, I would appreciate it. Thanks again, Pepper. And I recommend anybody in the research industry and marketing research industry, even if you're not um, focused on the Black consumer, the Black consumers are a critical part of the U.S. economy, and this is a great read. Um, thanks again, Pepper, for joining, and thank you, everybody, for listening. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.